Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zen Shea. I'm your conduit, your coach, and your catalyst to that better life. A coach draws out hidden potential in a subject, a catalyst sparks change, and a conduit provides a connection. So today, on this second day of Kwanzaa, I have Sid the Man with me. Say hi to the people. Hey, everybody. How's it going? All right, and he's brought a friend with him, Tiana. She's just going to be an observer today, but I just wanted to acknowledge that she's in the room. Tiara. Tiara, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay, (laughs) sorry. Sorry. And I wanted to start off talking about Kwanzaa a little bit. So if we were at a Kwanzaa celebration, they would say Habarigani, which means what's the news? And the person or the audience would respond with the word of the day. And Sid, what's our word of the day? Kuji Chakalia. Yes. And what does that mean? Self-determination. Exactly. So self-determination has to do with defining yourself for yourself, defining your culture for yourself, and having that assurance that you have the right to do that. So we're going to be talking about assurance and also about Kujichagalia, self-determination. Um, and if you were doing Kwanzaa activities, everybody out here can do this, you should ask yourself three questions. Who am I? Not just individually, but who am I in terms of my community and my culture? And am I really who I say I am? Mm. Ooh. Am I really who I say I am? Yeah, so really <laughs> reflecting on... Do you really live by what you say you live by? Do you really uphold the values that you say you have? And am I becoming everything that I can be and should be? And so those are three questions that you guys can ponder after this podcast. Um, so we're like I said, we're going to talk about assurance. And to me, assurance is that certainty. I know what I know. And nobody can talk me out of what I know because Mm. I've experienced it, because I've lived it, and I am assured of it being true. Um, And I think that that comes with age and experience. I agree. I agree. (laughs) What does assurance mean to you? What you just said, knowing that you know what you know. Uh, Because a lot of times, uh, even if you know something, And if you put the work in, sometimes situations can arise and people can arise in your life that will make you second guess what you feel that you know. So uh, self-assurance comes with um, making sure that you've made a decision based on knowledge. You know, then you can really go back and uh, I remember when I was in in math class in the seventh grade, um, our teacher used to go over the math problem and then show us a way to check our work. Mm. So that's what I think about when I think self-assurance is having a way to go back and see if you were right and then being able to stand in that surety and say, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. So I agree with you. And and, and we have a math teacher in the room, John Ross, and I know that there yeah. are math teachers in my building that, might even give a kid an answer and mm-hmm. say, now show me how you get to that answer. Right. Show me how that is true. Right. Show me why that is true. And if they can do that, then they know 
what they're doing. If they can do that, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. Um, and so again, knowing that, you know, that, you know, you know, I know as a performer practice is Mm -hmm. so important because I'm a poet and you can think that, you know, that poem, but as soon as you put the paper down (laughs) and you step away, you know, from looking at it and then you have to go off the dome, right. You gonna know if you know it. And then also, do you know it under stress? Do you know it, you know, when there's people frowning in the audience, do you know it? Like I always talk about the first time I performed in a bigger area and I was not used to the spotlight being on. And when you look at it in the audience, you can only see the first two rows right? and everything else is black. <clears throat> and do you really know it then? Cause for a minute my mind went blank. <laughs> Cause I looked out and all I saw was blackness, Uh you know? And so I called one of my friends because I had to ad lib until the words came back to me. I called one of my friends who was actually a singer. Mm -hmm. Shout out to the singers in the building. Um, And he used to perform with this huge choir. And he said, go in your closet, close the door and practice in the dark. Mm. When was your first uh, performance? My first performance was four years ago. Okay. My first performance. Um, I had been writing. I've been writing since elementary school. Mm-hmm. And I've been published since about elementary school. I got one of my teachers published my first piece. But um, I had never performed before then. I had actually written performance pieces. I had actually written a play in college that got performed. But I had never performed <clears throat> um, before four years ago. And I didn't even see myself. I was nervous and didn't see myself. I was intimidated by spoken word artists. Really? You know? Oh, yeah. well in, in Houston, I, I agree. The spoken word artists in Houston, I mean, they can't be intimidating, especially if you have to come behind one of the ones that's like <laughs> one of the ones that's really on fire. Yeah. We, we got some talented poets in the city. So yeah, we, we do. Yeah. And, um, it takes courage, but you know, what I learned is practicing in a lot of different situations. You know, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell and he talks about the 10,000 hour rule. If you want to be an expert Mm -hmm. at something, you got to put in the time you have to put in those 10,000 hours. And I found when I first started, I practiced in my bathroom. I practiced in the closet. Like I told you in the dark, I set my son and a couple of neighbors down in the living room and practice in front of them. Cause it was the nerves. I had to get rid of the nerves. So do you practice 10,000 hours in each location? No, <laughs> I, mean, is it a cumulative I, I don't keep track, 10, I don't keep track of the time I practice. I know that I've put in way more than 10,000 hours because I've been writing since yeah. I was like nine. Mm-hmm. So I know that I put in that time. I, I wouldn't even want to, I wouldn't even want to estimate how many hours I have spent writing and rewriting and rewriting. It's hours and hours, probably a hundred thousand to be honest with you. But the practice itself, you know, a lot of times I practice in the car on my way to an event. Um, sometimes I practice, I'll sit, I'll be in a tub practicing, you mm-hmm. know, just wherever, because I think you have, and, and if you're away from the stage, this eight months of COVID, mm-hmm. 
the first time I got back up on the stage, I was the nerve most nervous I have been in four years. Was that wow. first time back on the stage, which was um, my show on December eighteenth. That first, I was nervous that whole day. Oh I yeah, couldn't I even remember think that show. about work hardly. I was, I was in so Dallas. nervous. Oh, yeah. I was nervous. So, what what do you want to say about? practicing about honing your craft about even I will say this. I think artists we're some, some might say arrogant. Some might say confident. Some might say bold. We have to have a certain amount, a little bit of crazy in us Mm -hmm. and a little bit of, I know that I know that I know that I'm good and I got something to say, you know, we have to have that certainty because if you don't have that certainty, I think you're going to quit. And nobody will believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I tell artists this, you know, often. Uh, if you don't believe you, nobody else will. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people can write things that sound good and they write things that they think other people will like. But if it doesn't heal you first, it won't heal anybody else. And that's what I think the beauty of being an artist is. Uh, especially when I sit down and write something. I never have the consumer in mind when I sit down to write. Mm-hmm. Never. It's always something that I feel that I either want to say or I want to produce or compose. Uh, so those of you all who don't know, of course, I'm a singer, but I'm a writer and a composer. So I do my own music, uh, sit down with my software, and I hammer it out on the keys. But it has to be something that I like and that I would listen to over and over again, or I won't put it out. So when you say the 10,000 hour rule, um, some of those hours for me are spent listening to what I've done as opposed to practicing doing it. Because I want to make sure that if someone hears my music for the very first time, would they want to hear it again? I don't have the budget or uh, or the resources at this time to program someone to like my music. So they really have to like it the first time. And I always have that in mind. And uh, if they do like it, then that means that my practice paid off. Or it could mean it paid off even if they don't like it. But if I'm satisfied with it enough to present it, then I can feel comfortable that I put in the the amount of time uh, to at least make sure that it's polished enough for uh, presentation. So uh, I think that's a great point that you bring up um, because a lot of times as artists, we can feel that we naturally have something, mm. but it still takes time to uh, perfect your, and I don't know if you can ever really perfect your craft, especially in an ever changing uh, world that we live in. And if you're involved in music uh, with the advent of technology, things move really fast. Our podcast, things move really fast. So you'll be putting 10,000 hours here and then in a few months, once the technology upgrades, you're going to find yourself putting in some more hours to try to keep up with the things that has changed. But uh, as far as your output as an artist, uh, I think it's very important that if you know that you are naturally gifted at something, uh, don't stop there because there's someone else that's naturally gifted at that too. And uh, the difference between that person and you is going to be the amount of time that you put in making that be polished up and uh, and ready for presentation. Because, you know, 
some people can naturally cook too. They don't mean everybody should eat their food. That's true. You know, <laughs> presentation is yeah. is very important, and I think that everything about a piece of art is important. Um, you you and I are similar in f- when I sit down and write, I'm not thinking about the audience and I don't even know whether that piece will ever be performed. Right. I sit down and write because I'm a writer. Right. That is who I am. I can't stop being a writer. That is, I've always been a writer even before I was a performer. Mm-hmm. So I think that for people, I think the difference between to me an artist and somebody out to make a quick buck is that an artist can't stop. Right. An artist, this is part of who they are. This is part of how they deal with the world. I deal with COVID. I deal with people losing their jobs and people marching in the streets and police brutality and all of the stuff that happens in the world by writing it down Mm -hmm. in images and and feelings and thoughts and making metaphors and similes and all those things the wordplay because that's how it makes sense of the world without art i don't even know how i would cope because i don't have a i don't have a, even an idea of how i would cope in fact to be honest there is a part of me that can't relate to people who aren't artists Mm. because it's like, how do you cope with the world without music, without art, without drama, without dance, without something? How do you get through the day? Drugs, cocaine, (laughs) and alcohol. That that could be true. And that may be why I'm not really a drinker or a smoker. Yeah, okay. Sex is is a great release. Yes, it does. Sex is a great release. But there's a part of me, and, and I think that when you meet an artist... I think that artists have a bond that other people cannot understand. I agree. Because we all know if if I see the art in you, I feel the art in you. I know mm-hmm. you're like me. Right. I know that you cope <laughs> with the world through your music, through your composing, through getting on that stage and feeling the vibe and the connection with the audience. I know something about you that I don't know about any other person walking down the street. I know you're like me. And there's a, going back to assurance, (laughs) there's an assurance that we are family. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? We are one. We are about the same thing. And, And I think that's one thing that makes it amazing. Like when you walk into a room, and there's a jam session going on and mm-hmm. everybody is vibing off of everybody else. And you just throwing in this and I'm throwing in that. It's because we all are the same, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just, if you've, if you've never experienced a real jam session, yeah, it's, it's something. Well, it's we something definitely real. have them in Houston. <laughs> I, I've been a part of several yeah. Uh, yeah. sessions. Uh, the more recent one was uh, the one where Travis Travis M, mm, that that yeah. would be at Hinkin uh, Pilot. Yeah, you know that that jam session. But uh, I agree. I don't think that um, our artists are the same in that respect. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Because, of course, I as an artist can cope with the world through art. But another uh, another way that I use my art 
for myself is to create my own world. And sometimes I'm so deep into what I'm creating to where um, I'm not even aware of what's going on in the world to have the wherewithal to cope with it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So uh, sometimes I like to uh, to shut out everything mm. and just say, all right, if I had a blank canvas, what would I do with it? Mm-hmm. Or if I had dead silence, what would I do with it? And when I create, it is dead silent. Mm-hmm. And there's not many people that have ever saw me create anything or even write a song. I even been in the studio with me. There's not many people that have because I start from silence or a blank canvas. And I, when I create music, I don't listen to music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even to this day, the, the the more things that I listen to are uh, podcasts, documentaries, <laughs> financial <laughs> stuff, stock market stuff. Uh, it's very little music because I want to make sure that uh, when I decide to create, that uh, the influence that I have at the end of the day is something that, that that's coming from me, and uh, you can't escape influences but you can focus on what's inside to really make yourself authentic and um, you know unlike anybody else and so I think that over time I've been able to develop a sound and develop a style that's unlike anybody else I would think and that comes from not listening to music if you can you know it comes from not listening to music and allowing my mind to explore those explore those areas that would probably not even be open to me had I been comparing myself to other people and be like, all right, well, let me try this because this person did it. Or let me when I sit down, it's just anything goes. Let's see what happens, kind of thing. And uh. I, I can relate to that. I create from silence too. You know, I I can't even understand like how can somebody write with with noise? Mm-hmm. Like it's silent when I when I create, and um, I have to I have to be able to hear my hear my thoughts in my head, mm-hmm. and there can't be any other noise around to distract from the words that I hear that I'm trying to record. Um, before I lose those words, right. you know, so, so yeah, um, I can, I can definitely relate to that. And I also can relate to, I listen to poetry, I read poetry, but I don't often read it or listen to it when I want to write. I, I, that's not, I get inspired by other people. One of my poems, uh, fathers are not disposable that was inspired by three poems. I'm sorry. Yeah. Three poets that were single fathers that were really struggling, you know, with Mm. their, with their baby mamas. And (laughs) I took a line from each one of their poems that they had said over a long period. It took me, I sat with that idea of wanting to write that poem about single fathers. I probably sat with that idea for over a month. Mm-hmm. because I didn't know what I wanted to say. And I, I wanted it to be a strong piece. I wanted it. Normally my pieces come to me like this, like in five minutes it's done. That's one of the few pieces where I was like, I didn't even know how to start it. I didn't even know where it was going to go. 
I just mm-hmm. knew it had to be written. Right. It had to be written because it, somebody needed to say it, you know. Right. And so there have been pieces that um, I have sat with and said, okay, this needs to be written. It'll come to me when it comes to me because yeah. I don't know how it's going to come to me. But it, and it would be in the back of my brain. It needs to be written. Okay. And when, when it, it comes, when it, it can hit you. You can be doing some of the most random things and mm. you have to put it down and be like, that's it. Yeah, that's it. it. That's yeah, it. you're right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And you're like, okay. Oof. And then sometimes you just sit back and you're like, okay, that shit was good. You know, or, or you sit back and go, where did that come from? Like, yeah. cause it was just all of this stuff that you're just, you've been gelling on, you've been sitting on, you've mm-hmm. been, it's been here and then it all just comes out and it's, you know, I think that that's the beauty of culture. That's the beauty of art. And that's also the beauty of, as you said, wanting to be original. You know, we're talking about Kuja Chagalia, self-determination, mm-hmm. having that assurance that I have the right to be completely different, come up with a different style, come up with a different take on whatever it is. And I'm going to put this out here and be true to myself, be true to my art, you know? And I think that that's, very much a powerful thing um, for the culture. And I think that every person who really made an impact mm-hmm. on the culture, they were very unique and they were very, you know, think about Prince. Oh my gosh. Oh man. I well, mean, you know. his dress, his singing, him playing yeah. all these instruments, him just, the whole androgyny of him, just one everything of about him, one of a kind. Michael Jackson, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, you know, they were icons for a reason because they determined I'm going to be myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay true to my art. And it's wonderful. Like when I saw, uh, I think it was called get on up James Brown's movie. Uh-huh. And he was sitting there with the, with the, the musicians, no, we're not going to play that beat that way. Everybody plays the beat that way. We're yeah. going to cut it and we're going to do it this way. Nobody does it like that. I don't care. That's the way we're going to do it. Right, right. And he created a totally different way of doing beats. Right. Because he heard something in his head. Right. That was unique. And I thought about. Uh, and shout out to it? Clyde Stubblefield. That's, oh. his, that's his drummer. Oh, okay. So a lot of stuff was in his head, too. I have to. Well, yeah. Clyde Stubblefield, shout yeah. out to you, yeah. Clyde Stubblefield. Yeah, he okay. passed away a few years ago. But, well, the fans of Clyde Stubblefield, oh, yeah. then shout out yeah. to you guys. For sure. <laughs> Holding For it sure. down out there. Um, there was another biopic that I thought was really interesting, um, and it was Queen's biopic, what was uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, okay. And they were coming up with just unique things. We want to get the audience involved. We want to do the... Oh, you know, I got you. Yeah and, yeah. and just different things that nobody was doing. They came out with a six minute song and the radio producer said, nobody does six minute songs. We're not going to play a six minute song. And they walked and they said, we'll take it somewhere else. And mm-hmm. it became their biggest song ever. Yeah. You know, so that assurance that this is my art. I believe in it. I'm not compromising it. 
Mm -hmm. I'm putting it out there this way. You know, some of the greatest stories of behind music came from those Mm -hmm. people that were just, they had that assurance and they had that idea of self-determination, you know, and I think the indie artists now are just, you know, some of them make me really proud, you know, because there's, they still have that, that drive and that desire to stay true to their music. And it's a beautiful thing. Those are the ones that's doing it for the right reasons. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I would uh, like to make people aware of is just as you have great stories about how people have succeeded with their self-assurance in their art, it's the other way around, too. You will suffer Mm. for being self-assured. You will suffer. So if you know what you're talking about, uh, don't expect everybody to get it. And uh, so, like, if you're an artist and you want this unique sound, you want this unique take on whatever, cool. If you're going to stand on that, cool. But just know you're not going to be welcome everywhere, you know. And that's okay. But don't just think I'm self-assured or I'm I'm determined to and think that you're going to get the results that you desire. You get the results that essentially you deserve if you keep at it, but it's not all roses at the end just because you stuck to your guns. There's some things that I stuck to my guns about, and uh, had I compromised, I may be a lot further than I am, but I stuck to my guns. So there's some places and, and some platforms that I have not been allowed on just because there's certain things that, I won't do certain things. I won't talk about uh, cer- certain. It's a certain way I want to do my. It's certain people I associate myself with, and uh, in the business world, in the music business world, uh, directions that I could have went that I didn't go because I stood for something, right? But that I don't get no roses for that. You know, they just gonna say this stuff at my funeral, so I won't see the benefits of a lot of the stances I've taken. I guess that'll be for my kids or, you know, maybe they'll come up to them and say, oh, your daddy stood for something. Mm. But I don't see the benefits of it uh, right now. And I just want to let the artists, you know, know that because a lot of times we we say, yeah, be you and but you're going to suffer. So be ready. I I agree with that. And speaking as a person who puts on shows and promotes certain people, I just, I just had someone, you know, reach out to me um, that had a rap group that they thought I really should listen to. And I'm not saying that they're not talented. Talent is one thing. My platform is for a certain purpose. My platform is about this. It's about positive change. It's about, moving forward. It's about uplifting the culture. Um, some rap music is about that. Some rap music is not about that. Yeah. And there's some rap music that's not about that, that has a huge audience. Oh yeah, for sure. And I could get money and notoriety and a lot of, how would you say forward momentum? Mm -hmm. If I were to provide a platform to some artists that are out there, I choose not to do that mm-hmm. because I feel that my, I was given as goddess fee would say 
<laughs> you were given this platform for a reason. Use it for the glory of God and not for your own adornment. So I have always felt that I owe the culture and I owe the ancestors and I cannot in good faith get behind some particular artist, not because they're not talented, but because the message that they have is at odds with the message that I have. Mm -hmm. And as long as they have that message, I'm not going to support them being on my platform. I'll support them being successful anywhere else. I got you. You know, cause there's a platform for everybody and everybody doesn't have my idea of what their platform is. If you're just wanting good music and you want to dance and you want a great beat, that's wonderful. There's a platform for that. You know what I'm saying? But when I have a show, I tell people gets in, stays in, spreads in. That's what my show is about. Right. My show is about you coming in and, and, and relaxing, you coming in and feeling good, you coming in and feeling uplifted. And yes, I have rap artists on my show, but they generally say, you know, very positive things. I'm trying <laughs> to know? tell you. So. I like the I like some of the local rappers and I've I've run into that myself with uh indie friendly. Um so when I first started Indie Friendly, I used to kind of make like an open call for artists, uh, submit your music, do this, do that, so I can hear it. And then I stopped because most of the um, most of the people that were submitting were rappers. And I'm like, all right, I need more than rap to be on the stage. And then some of the rap, as you describe, is not compatible with, what I would like to uh, put out, you know, and there's some, some artists that have said things that I don't necessarily agree with, but their overall presentation was okay enough for me to put them on the stage. But overall, I, I do take that same approach as you like, okay, now this platform is a blessing to me first. So it has to be a blessing as far as the output that comes from it to the rest of the world. And if I'm not going to take the uh, the responsibility or the accountability of what is on this stage and on this platform, then I don't deserve it, you know. I don't deserve it. And just as God gives, he takes. So, you know, I, I always try to keep that in mind. Um, but shout out to the rappers, man. But y'all got to come on, man. Y'all really... Slipping out of here, and there's some good hip hop artists out here, but man, y'all rappers really need to step y'all game up. The production is steady climbing, but the lyricism and the subject matter, we getting dumber by the day, man. And it's crazy. And the stuff that, and it's not that it's not good rap out there, but the people who are curating this stuff at these radio stations, it's like they picking the dumbest stuff. They're picking the most unintellectual material and feeding it to us. And unconsciously or, or, or subconsciously, people who hear that, other aspiring artists, will think that that's the sound to emulate or that's the subject matter to repeat or cosign. And it's not. You know, so to all you rappers out there that's just rapping, you got a responsibility as well. And I think that whatever happens to us after we die, I don't know. But I feel as if 
I'll have to answer for some of this stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the hip hop man is disappointing. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I make no apologies for saying that because it's been too long. And hip hop is the most popular genre in the whole world. And the whole and to me that means they have the biggest responsibility in all of music. And to waste or to squander that opportunity to say some foolishness on the stage for some type of vain purpose, I think is irresponsible. But a lot of people don't know better. And uh so I hope y'all don't take this the wrong way, but you know. Castor oil doesn't taste good, <laughs> but I hear it's good, you know. Well, I want to piggyback off of what you said, and I want to go back to the very beginning of this podcast. I started off saying that on this day of Kujichagalia, you should be asking yourself a couple of questions. Who am I? As an artist, if you don't know who you are, you need to go back to the beginning and figure out who am I as an artist? What is my purpose as an artist? And it shouldn't be just to make a dollar. I'm sorry. It shouldn't be. We all have to make a living, but having a gift that everybody doesn't have, having the ability to translate a, a lyric into something that goes into people's hearts and minds or translate a, a rhyme into something that goes into people's hearts and minds or creating scenes, you know, visually with your paintbrush or sculpture or artistically through drama, through dance, whatever. If you can change and impact a person's mood, their way that they see the world, you've got to be about more than making a dollar. I'm sorry. You do. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to the culture to be about more than making a dollar. So who are you? You know, who are you? And even taking it outside of the art world, who are you as a business person? What are you really offering people? Who are you as an educator? You know, who are you? Whatever profession you're in, who are you? And are you really who you say you are? How do you, you find know? that out? Um, <clears throat> if someone was to say, Zen, how do I, find out who I am, what would you suggest? Well, I think for me, when COVID happened, I had to do some reevaluation. Oh, okay. When, when, when my mother died and my father died and everybody above me died, I had no elders. I'm the top of the line. I'm the oldest. Talk about it. You know, I had to say, who am I? Cause I'm not somebody's daughter anymore. I mean, my mother's still out there and you know, in the ancestral realm, but I'm physically on this plane of earth, you know, I'm the matriarch of the family. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the role I wasn't ready to take on. Oh my gosh. So who are you? First, I think it starts with writing down your roles. You know, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a son or whatever, whatever, whatever. And then it starts with realizing you're going to die. Mm -hmm. You're going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die someday. What do you want to leave? And then that's the person you need to be. That may not be the person you are right now, mm -hmm. but what do you want to leave behind you? What kind of memories do you want to leave behind you? What kind of impact do you want to leave behind you? I want to leave behind uplifting messages. So I need to be an uplifter. I want to mm -hmm. leave behind people that are inspired and challenged. So that means I need to be inspirational. I want to leave behind 
children that have some morals. So that means that I need to be a moral person. So I think it, 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 it goes with what you want out of your life. And I think it also goes with going back to those memories of who you were when you were really young. What did you think about yourself? I thought I was creative. I thought I was, I thought I was clever with words. I love to read, you know, and you kind of put together all of these descriptions and I like the ABCs. I'm doing the ABCs as in this is assurance. You know, we've done all of these. We've done abundance and attitude and alternatives. and So I like ABCs. So you might need to write your name at the top of a sheet of paper and give yourself an adjective for A. Maybe you're athletic. Maybe you're bold. Maybe you're creative. Maybe you're daring. And maybe you need to define yourself with the ABCs. I've done it before. I'm such a, a teacher. I made a poster for myself (laughs) when I got divorced. Okay. Let me say this. When you go through difficult situations, like I mentioned the death of my, my family, when I went through my divorce, my first divorce in 99, that was the first time I said, who am I? And I sat down and I wrote ABCs and I went, I, I made it real beautiful. I don't know whether it was on Canva or something, not in ninety nine. Well, it was it was on something. <laughs> it was some kind of program on the. I don't know what was on on them computers in ninety nine. Whatever was on the computer in ninety nine, I blew it up, <laughs> and I made a poster on my wall, and I put it in outside of my bathroom, and every day I would look at it, and I would read it off, because I didn't feel like much of anything right at that point. I didn't feel very good about myself. I felt like I made some really bad choices. After your uh, divorce. When I, I, okay, I'm not the typical black woman, okay? I was raised in a very traditional family, and there was only one other person that got divorced before me. Um, and her husband, everybody was like, divorce him. He was an alcoholic. He gave her an incurable disease, mm. sexually transmitted. So everybody was like, <clears throat> Yes, you have the permission to divorce him. Now, me, on the other hand, all of the problems in my marriage were very much under the rug. Mm. Nobody knew about them. Uh, I was very good at hiding them because Mm. I didn't want to appear to be a victim. Um, I've come out and said, I've come out of the closet in a way, you know, not, not the homosexual way, but I have come out of the closet in a way and, 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 and fessed up. I saw you that know. on Facebook. Yeah, I did. I have come out in the last year or so I've really come out and I've done it on different pieces of poetry and stuff before, but I really have come out and said, these are the things that happened to me and very few people know it. But now I have a platform and I feel like people might, like Steve Harvey said, I don't have a PhD. I'm not a psychologist, but I can tell you how to get here because I came from nothing. Now, in a sense, I didn't come from nothing because I had two parents and my parents both had degrees and all that stuff. But in a sense, I came from nothing when it comes from, you know, having to come out of an abusive situation, having to rebuild myself. So in that sense, I came from nothing, from mm-hmm. ground zero. So who are you? Like I said, I think everybody has to find a way to define 
themselves. For me, it was going back to who I was as a child, thinking about all the dreams I had, thinking about all the talents I had, the goals I had, doing the ABCs of me. Mm-hmm. You know, this was way before Zen even was a thought. The ABCs of me, you know, putting my name at the top of a poster and going alphabetically, what would I say about myself? Mm-hmm. You know, and and then really seeing myself differently and and realizing it because at the time like I said when I got divorced I felt like a failure I felt like okay I made this really bad choice I've let my family down Mm -hmm. I'm one of those women I even wrote an article called those women I'm one of those women who cheated on whose husband cheated on her whose husband beat her who did this and had this happen to her and I was one of those women um and I had to I had to just embrace all of that yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's me. So what? I can start from here and I can be whatever I want to be. And I would suggest whether you're an artist or or not, uh, know who you are before you join with someone. Hmm. So that's good. If 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 you're not sure or if you haven't done the soul searching, if you hadn't done the work on yourself. Leave other people alone. Leave other people the F alone. If you ain't ready, leave them alone. Because now all you're going to do is infect them. You know, so if you don't know who you are, if you don't know your tendencies, your potential, you know, and sometimes we can lose sight of that, you know, but, and, and we can be reminded of our worth and value. But if you don't have an idea, Man, don't mess with nobody else because you're not ready. You're not ready. And a lot of times, I I know for me, and I don't even discuss this part of my life really, but, yeah, I was married as well. And so be, being in uh, in a marriage where you, you have a, a whole other individual here, you've come as an individual and as a grown-up, and now y'all trying to, you know, make it work as a, as a cohesive unit, Okay, but if one person is not sure of who they are, what they stand for, what they will and will not accept, then there's going to be some uh, instability in that union. And uh, that instability that may have been sparked from one half of the union is now going to affect both of you all. And uh, I'm a living witness, you know, to that. And so, uh, and I do understand how, Divorce will make you feel like like you failed because I, I still in a way, you know, feel like that, uh, like something didn't go right. And then you start questioning. All right. Well, who am I? Am I really a failure? Or am I all of these things that she or he said that I was in anger or whatever? Should I absorb that and take that on? But when you know who you are and as I know who I am and I just needed to be reminded just because somebody you know throws orange juice on you it doesn't turn you into an orange that's very <laughs> you know, true so, that's very true yeah so I wanted to you asked me about 
me starting off performing and all of those things. And I told you about that. So what is your journey to where you are? Like, how did you start? How did you become confident as an artist? You know, how did you even decide to start indie friendly? You know, all of that. Tell us about that. All right. Well, y'all go get y'all some popcorn. (laughs) Go fill y'all cups up. (laughs) Let's get into it. All right. So, I've been involved with music from a child, um, primarily from my mother and my brother, my eldest brother, both of whom are now uh, deceased. Uh, But I've been listening to music at home since birth. And then early on in elementary school, uh, I attended uh, Hobby Elementary School for uh, Fine Arts and that's why I was introduced to choir and band and stuff like that. And uh, I was always drawn to play instruments. So I started out, my first love is always drums. Uh, and then I started on the xylophone and then the piano. And So I've been introduced to a lot of instruments and I'm familiar with a little bit of a lot of them. And uh, I matriculated to middle school and high school, still involved in music and choir in middle school and in the marching band in high school and also in the jazz band in high school. So uh, I got my formal education, like with my music theory and all of that kind of stuff in school. <clears throat> but I always knew that there was something natural about my ability to create music just from me singing around the house or me mimicking the things that I heard on the radio. Uh, We listened to a lot of gospel in my house. Uh, So I used to mimic the gospel singers and in emulating what I was hearing, I started to kind of find my own singing voice, but nobody knew that I could sing until like I was maybe 23 or something like that. (laughs) Nobody really knew. Uh, I did not have the courage to sing in front of people for a very long time. So I started out participating in what we call the music industry as a producer. I was making beats. I started that in high school when I was uh, 15 or 16 years old. Uh, So I started there and I was looking for artists to like pair up with. Maybe my music would be good enough. Their lyrics are that rhymes or their vocals would be good enough and it'd be a match made in heaven that never happened and primarily is because the music that I was composing at the time it was not something that you would hear on the radio nothing like that and it's crazy though the stuff that I was producing way back in 2002 some of those sounds that I was using are, are now prevalent t- today in, in hip hop. So like maybe I was just too early. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the way I was producing back then, that's what's going on now. But when I used to let people hear my beats, they'd be like, no, nah, this sound like some space age stuff. <laughs> I'd be like, for real, you ain't jamming this man. It's kind of, it's jamming. Like, no <laughs> man. All right. So, I stopped reaching out to people after a while. Um, and I thought, what if I, you know, got on my own stuff? I knew I could sing a little bit. I knew I could rap a little bit. But I didn't have the courage to perform. Mm. 
I just did not. I I didn't. Uh, I'm really a shy person, and sometimes it's it's hard to tell when uh, when people hear me speak, or especially if uh, I'm hosting. They, they they may think I have all of the the boldness in the world, but I don't. <laughs> so I, I I didn't have the courage to perform. So it took me uh, some some trips to karaoke mm. when I was in college singing some cover songs to get the jitters out, man. Cause I used to be so scared to speak on a mic and then hear my voice come back through a speaker. Mm. Like I just wasn't ready. And so I started with karaoke and then I'm like, okay, I'm getting a couple claps. This may not be that bad. And then I started writing and this was in college. So I was like 20 or 21. I was a senior. And uh, once I start writing my first couple songs, I started um, I started recording at, at the studio this guy had in his house. And uh, then I would listen back and I'm like, man, this sound, you know, like it could probably be a real song. But I still was not ready to perform. The, to perform took the longest. It took the longest because I was not a performer. I didn't have, to me, I didn't have any charisma on stage. And so I went to the Red Cat Jazz Cafe one time. And I had this song called On My Nerves. Mm. And um, it's this singer, Kaya Hicks. Everybody know who Takaya Hicks is. But she used to uh, sing on, uh, I think it was the second or third Sundays at the Red Cat Jazz Cafe. It's when I had just graduated from Jackson State. Came home and wanted to do an open mic. And she was the one who was in charge of bringing people up for the open mic uh, during the intermission of her set. And so I went up to her. I was like, hey, my name is Sid. I just want to perform one song. That's okay. She looked at me like, okay, so what you do? I'm like, well, I kind of sing and kind of rap. So <laughs> she was like, okay, Sid, I'm, 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 I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to put you up. I was like, okay. So I'm sitting back. Chilling and artist after artist have now gone up and like I'm still sitting there, and so I went back and reminded her like, "Hey, Kaya, we I can still." She's like, "Oh, I got one more, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I got one more. What you say your name?" <laughs> I wasn't Sid the man, and I was just Sid. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, my name is Sid. Okay, we got Sid coming up here, y'all. I don't know what Sid is about to do, but y'all show him some love." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got the band to play um, this, this I guess rhythm or or this beat, and I just started singing my song on my nerves, and the place went crazy. Mm-hmm. But the whole time I was up there, my leg was shaking, mm-hmm. like my knee. I never remember my I never forget my kneecap was shaking. <laughs> I was so scared, man. I'm telling you, I was not a performer. But as time went on, and as I I guess started working on those ten thousand hours, I was like, man, I need to be in front of folks. And my thing was like, man, what if somebody from school see me up here doing this? They ain't gonna believe it's me on this thing. Cause I was not in the choir at church really uh and how if you would have told somebody from high school that I was going to grow up 
to be a singer or performer, they would be like, hell no, see it? No. You know, I want I want to speak on that because when I first started, everybody knows that Kay is my, my co-host. And I didn't have any idea how I wanted to do my show, right? I knew what I wanted. I had no idea how it was going to come about, but I knew that I had to set the vibe. I knew that I could do that because I'm a teacher. I know how to come in and set the vibe of a classroom. I know how to do that. So I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in. I'm going to set the vibe of this classroom. You know, you're going to notice my classroom now. You walk through those doors in my room. You know what I'm saying? So that was my world. <coughs> so I, I knew how to be in that space. That was not a performance space to me. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That was a, that was a, I don't want to know what I would call that, but that was, that was my life. I was, I am a teacher. I am an educator. So that, but stepping into, I am a performer is a whole different thing, you know? And I remember when there was a transition that happened in me within one of those first few shows where I realized I am a performer. People mm-hmm. see me as a performer. <laughs> they don't see me as the organizer of the show. That's right, not right. what they see me as. Right. They see me as a performer. And then I had to take that on and say, Ooh, okay. I am. And that's another thing when sometimes people can help you become who you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? they can ease your way into who you're supposed to be. You know, Kay Mm -hmm. helped me do that as my co-host. She helped bring me out of my shell in some ways, you know, um, because I was, as you said, shy, kind of in a shell. So I think self-determination, we have to also realize that self-determination does not mean that you're always by yourself. It means that you are able to, pull from everyone around you, your environment to create yourself. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Cause I was pulling from inspiration. I was getting from other people, advice. I was getting from other people, all kind of mentoring from other people, even though they might not have considered themselves mentoring me, you know, all of that was helping me determine myself, mm-hmm. helping me become assured in myself, you know? So, um, that's a whole nother thing that sometimes you have to be as an artist, a sponge. Mm-hmm. You have to keep your uniqueness, but you also have to pull from all of the things around you that can help you become better at what you do. Mm-hmm. Watch, listen, you know, take notes, um, maybe go to a class or two or whatever, you know, but be a sponge <clears throat> and, and help you to develop yourself. Like you said, hone your natural abilities. For you know? sure. So I get inspiration from, um, from comedians. <clears throat> That's the hardest job in show business, I think. Um, you don't have no music, no nothing. People just looking at you like, okay. Make me laugh. <laughs> hey, if you can do that job, <laughs> you can do anything on the stage. Uh, you know, maybe not anything, but you can definitely, you know, hold the audience's attention. And I just remember watching this one comedian who did not do a good job that night. But he still, he, well, he wasn't funny, but he still had the audience's attention. Mm. 
but we just wasn't laughing. Mm. But I, I took a, I, I took away from it like, okay, well, he at least has the charisma to like make everybody still be quiet, and everybody was drunk, and he still held their attention. And if he just would have been funny, he'd have been straight. But I looked at it like, okay, well, when I'm up there, I need to do more than just sing. I need to engage with the audience. So sometimes I'll stop mid-song, especially if I'm performing with a live band, start speaking to the audience, let them know my inspiration behind what I'm singing, uh, ask them a few questions. How many of y'all feel like I feel? How, you know, uh, turn to your neighbor. And You're very good them. at that. You're very, very good. It, it, yeah. it shocked me when you said that you never consider yourself a performer because I have been around a lot of singers and a lot of musicians, and you have one of the best stage presences that I've seen. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, you that's, really that's, do. That's a huge compliment. You really do. I appreciate you are, it. To me, you are one of the most electric performers that I have seen with a live band. I, I mean, it's oh, the man. band. For you to be, okay, this I'm is what happens. I'm going to put this water on myself. <laughs> This is what happens to a lot of performers that I've seen. They should be the focus, but they're not the focus. The band becomes the focus. Mm -hmm. But even you had, I don't know how many people behind you (laughs) and backup singers and everything, but you were constantly the focus. The, the, everything that you were doing was, was, and you had the audience just eating out of your hands. I was like, okay, (laughs) this man this man here. <laughs> okay. Man. Yeah, I appreciate it. it. It comes with, you know, it comes with practice. And then once you've done it for for a while, it's like, all right, if I do mess up, I know I ain't going to mess up on this or on this part. Or I, I at least know how to get myself from here to here. Now the rest, you know, that's up in the air. I don't know. But I at least know how to get on stage, introduce myself, <laughs> see how the audience is feeling. <clears throat> and another thing I like to do, I like to gauge the audience by just looking to see the demographic, <clears throat> the age, the gender. Who, who am I singing to? Who am I singing for? Uh, I'm looking at all of that. And that kind of lets me know how how much I can do. And, you know, but sometimes you could be wrong. You you may be singing in front of an audience of elderly people and you think they're not going to have a good time with you. Mm. And they may shock you, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. So That's very true. It, it came with time. And then I also um, I also have a boldness when, when I'm on stage now because I'm like, all right, this is the bully pulpit right here. So I can say whatever it is I need to say or want to say for this time, and I'm good. You know, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So you know, that 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 definitely uh, there's that feeling, and and the the wonderful thing about this show, this is the only place outside of the stage where I have sometimes felt that same vibe that's on the stage, where mm-hmm. there's the that energy that give and take that that you're creating something that didn't exist before you got in the room feeling mm-hmm. there's that live feeling um and that's one thing i like about 
doing the podcast, you know, that, that I didn't expect to happen, but it has happened a couple of times. So I wanted, you know, we're going to wrap up. I wanted you to sing a little bit for the people and I wanted you to tell them where they can find you and also tell them about the songs that we're going to be putting on the podcast because, you know, I want you guys that are watching on Instagram and Facebook Live to be able to stream his music, but all the people on the podcast, I want them to kind of have a little bit of background on what we're going to be putting on the podcast episode um, when we edit this. So, Got you. Got you. So what you all will hear on the podcast are two selections. The first selection being Keep Striving, which it's on all streaming platforms, there's a full-length video. Uh, I would like to call it maybe like a short film. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's on YouTube. If you just search Sid the Man, S-Y-D-T-H-E-M-A-N with no spaces. Don't put any spaces in between Sid the Man. My people... Open your eyes and see the light in front of you It shines like the sun, yet only reaches but a few The lies that you've been told will soon all be exposed Then you will come out the darkness into the sun And finally start to grow But I don't know how long it takes to reverse the lies that you believe about yourself and your history and all that we've achieved when you know what you've done you know what you can do then the whole world will see what they don't show you on the news it's time to wake up and wake up your brother wake up your sister too we gotta soak up the knowledge that sets us free so here's what i say to you don't let what you know be all you know you're never too grown to grow keep striving you'll find everything that you need to find that's the first selection. The second selection is a favorite of mine, uh, which was on my debut album, and I also released it as a single. Words just can't explain it. Time. 
So words just can't explain it is uh like a neo soul feel, but it's pretty much saying if I could create a woman for me, you know, this is what she would be like. And maybe I don't have the words to express that, but here's my best job, you know. And keep striving, I forgot to explain that. That's for our people. Letting the, letting our people know that no matter what in the the enemy can put in front of us, we still need to keep striving. Cuz of course we're the we're the people with the targets on our back for 400 years, you know. And longer than that, you know, we just but in America for 400 years and we don't die. We multiply. So keep striving, y'all. <laughs> Keep striving. That's that's really what that's about. And so I'll do a little bit of another song since y'all going to hear these two songs. I wrote this song <clears throat> with my daughter in mind. So she was born in 2013. And that caused a shift. Or I would say uh, almost a total 180-degree turnaround from my content from my first album when she was born. I was like, well, what if she could turn on the radio and hear something? What would I want her to hear? And so that's when I came with a song called No One Is Better Than You. And it says, turn off your TV and your radio. Because there's something not being said that you ought to know. Everything you hear and see. Is only programming you to believe in the superficial. It's called selling a dream. There's absolutely no need to admire what's untrue. Pick up a mirror and see your reality and realize no one's better than you, than you. Than you, no one's better than you, than you, than you. See, I don't care about the clothes you wear or how you appear to be. What's on the outside can't show me anything internally. If all you got is the way you look, then you don't have nothing at all. Time and gravity on your body means everything eventually falls. Taking it off, taking it down. You won't look how you look now. When you learn what's beneath your skin, you'll never be without a good reason to smile. No one is better than you, than you, than you. No one is better than you. That's just a little bit, you know. Thank so. you so much for that. That was an amazingly powerful message for us to end on. So this is the second day of Kwanzaa, and he has just gave, given you a wonderful anthem about self-determination, about not being programmed, about not believing in all the hype that's out there, but really 
seeing your own worth, seeing your own value and realizing that, you know, we're all equally valuable and we have to definitely embrace that, have that assurance of that. And I want to thank Sid the Man for being with Zenergy tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's not that often you can have an in-depth conversation with another artist that's recorded. Because, of course, we chop it up, you know, in our own circles, but you know, the world should really feel privileged to have a podcast such as yours and and other platforms in the city of Houston. Shout out to everyone who's pushing the, the culture forward, especially in the greater Houston area. Uh, but thank you for having me because uh, I, I think that the things that you do, yeah, y'all see, she got it all written out, what she stands for, what she's about, her merchandise is here that's representative of of the things that, you know, you're about and what you're pushing. So I'm just thankful that I could embody some of those things that you have had in mind for your platform for you to, uh, you know, accept me on here. And Yeah, so thanks a lot. I appreciate you. So, y'all, subscribe to this podcast. Don't miss the chance. And congratulations. You on Thank Spotify. You. Pandora. Pandora. iHeartRadio. iHeart. Oh. I mean, I'm pretty much almost everywhere that you can find a podcast. You can find me. Uh, I think there's only one platform I'm still waiting to get on. So uh, pretty much everywhere. That's what's up. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. I want to thank you guys for joining us. And I want to say, may you walk in synergy. Good night. My name is Zena Shea, and I have a weekly podcast called Zenergy, which is fuel for the mind, body, and soul. And this is the Zenergize Your Life Goal Setting Package, Volume 1. It comes with a workbook, a journal, stickers, a bookmark, tabs, and a QR code where you can find my podcast. And inside this workbook, you're going to have 16 different principles. The first one I'm going to show you mine is abundance. You have a place to put pictures that inspire you of role models, also pictures of goals that you want to create, goals, journal prompts, meditations, affirmations, all kinds of things to help you focus on this principle to better your life. And like I said, there's 16 principles. So this is a $15 package that comes with all of these things I've shown you, $21 with shipping and handling, and you can get it at laughsandlyrics.com. So Zenergize your life with me. Thank you.